It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. So this uh, particular uh, episode has a fun name to it. It doesn't really sound very Anglo-Saxon, uh, and but... Uh, you know, and so if you're wondering if snooze buttons existed back then, uh, they sort of did, uh, but just in a different fashion. Uh, the technology hadn't quite advanced to the levels that we are today. Uh, but it's, it's sort of a fun play on words because the dangers, you know, could be sort of like the Danes, you know. Uh, and, but that's, I didn't put it that way, okay. I just put danger. But in my head, I was sort of laughing to myself, but I didn't figure you guys would appreciate the humor. Uh, and I was thinking, you know, we have, a, we have a character named Dane in our audience. Uh, I wonder how he feels. How, do, how does Dane feel uh, when he's sort of the bad guy? Like Eric, I'm a Viking too, but you're, I mean, you're the Dane. I mean, this is like, uh, he's, he's the bad guy in this story. But uh, uh, So let's just separate out Dane from the Danes uh, as we go through this, guys. Uh, but uh, that's part of what this is going to be about is something known as the Dane Geld. Uh, the Danegeld is a famous thing in British history, and you'll understand, we'll unpack it a little. So as we lay the foundation, on Friday we're going to actually enter an actual war, uh, that it's going to be sort of the first time that Alfred is going to uh, step into battle. And so a lot of you guys have been waiting, it's like, when does Alfred get into this story? The challenge with this story is so much of it is context to understand the significance of his life. If you don't understand what is taking place, then the value of what he represents is just lost on all of us, which is why I have to build up sort of the time period and give you certain things uh, that will fill in the blanks. This is one of them, and this is going to be a key piece that you're going to see throughout this time period is as the Vikings come onto this island, with these different kings that are ruling their little sectors in this heptarchy, this seven uh, nation, this seven kingdom uh, island, they're going to have a strategy of how they deal with it. And it's almost like the Vikings themselves set before them this strategy. It's like, hey, you can fight us, and you do know that we're better warriors than you. You do know that we've gotten you beat before you even, you know, get onto the battlefield because we're seasoned veteran warriors. You've been, you're just farmers. <laughs> There's no way you're going to win. So we'll give you another option. You can pay us off. You can pay us the Danegeld. And if you pay us the Danegeld, then we'll leave you alone. Okay, so you have to recognize as a king, you have two options that are set before you. And to actually go and fight with the risk of losing and the consequences being so much greater because if you lose to this sort of evil, they have really bad uh, tactics of what they do to you at the other side, especially if you're the king. And so this is legendary to all of the kings. And so they are susceptible to what I'm going to say today is pushing the snooze button, okay? So the snooze button, I don't know if you've ever run into one of these, uh, but it's the strange invention that enables a temporary postponement from doing the hard thing of getting out of bed. Some of you feel sort of guilty even, having the, even in the title when I, when I read it. However, this is one of those aspects of life that is 
It's just very well demonstrated in and through the snooze button. But a snooze button, when pushed, has a tendency to take even a greater territory in your life. And so one snooze push can turn into five snooze pushes. And so as a result, the snooze button can become something that it was never intended to be. And that's what we're going to sort of unpack here because that's the principle of the Danegeld. Proverbs 26, 14, as a door turns on its hinges, so does the lazy man on his bed. Isn't that one of those scriptures that your mom uh, reads to you uh, when you're growing up? And yet there is something to this. This idea of the lazy is going to be unpacked in the Proverbs. And you're going to recognize that when wisdom steps onto the scene, it's going to call out certain characters. And you you have the sluggard, the slothful, the lazy. They all sort of seem to be one character, right? Uh, And this, this fool that is going to make a choice that in the moment seems very wise, seems right, but actually in the long run kills him. So one of the terms in the Hebrew is aharith, which is the backside. So every aspect of the human body to the Hebrew mind has value. So like for instance, I've said the right side of the body is a side of strength and power and authority. The left side is a side of dependence. Well, even that is just very intriguing, but the head is the ruling uh, aspect of the body, the ruling functional aspect, okay? Each part has a role. The forehead is adamant, it's determination. And so all of these things have a role or a picture to the life. Well, the back, the aharith, the backside of the matter, is something that a fool cannot see. So the fool does not see the aharith, And as a result, he will move forward into a direction that actually is going to cost him his life, but he doesn't see what follows. He doesn't see the repercussions of moving in that direction. And as a result, the fool will move forward. The wise actually takes heed and recognizes before they go in that direction, what does God say about that direction? And they see the backside before they go. And as a result, they do not and I know, for, for this message, I'm going to use the illustration, they do not push the snooze button because pushing that snooze button has consequences. Atzla. It's not the, a very attractive word, uh, and if you're thinking of naming your child this, I would think at least twice because what it means is choosing the easy over the hard. Laziness, sluggishness. This is sort of the noun that encompasses it. If you have, if, if, if you are functioning in laziness, this is the, uh, the word that would describe you, atzla. It's not a, a pretty thing because you have chosen the easier way. You have chosen the more comfortable way. And in the moment, it seemed right. But in the long run, it is going to cost you dearly. So Ecclesiastes 10.18 talks about this atzla. Because of atzla, the building decays. And what you're going to see in each of these nations that is going to choose the Danegeld, choose to push the snooze button instead of fight the Vikings, you're going to see that their nation is going to decay. I mean, it's a pretty good enunciation of it because each one of the nations that is going to pay off the Vikings is going to be ultimately ruled and destroyed and devastated by the Vikings. And each of the kings that is going to pay off those Vikings 
if even in the moment it seemed like it gave them a reprieve, they're all going to end up dead at the hands of the Vikings. So it's sort of like if I was going to use all of history and say it, I would say, let this be a lesson to us, O Church of Jesus Christ. And that's precisely why in British history, the Danegeld is an important piece of information. It means something. So we're going to finish today with a poem from Rudyard Kipling called The Danegeld. And so this is something that has, is legendary to the Brits. The Danegeld, it's the easy solution to the Viking problem, simply known as the payoff. So in biblical history, you're going to see a term known as the tribute, that they're going to pay tribute, like the Assyrians, which were the Vikings of their day, are going to be coming in and conquering all the territory. And you can be left alone if you pay them tribute. So if you paid the Danegeld. King Edmund learns the hard way. It's always funny seeing King Edmund because we always think of uh, Chronicles of Narnia when we see it. And it's interesting because I think Chronicles of Narnia warms us uh, to uh, King Edmund. And I like King Edmund. He's the king of East Anglia, which is the first location that the Vikings are going to land in 865 with their big movement uh, on the island. And I, I like this guy. I don't know a tremendous amount about him, but all the quotations that I've received from him caused me to just be stirred and go, okay, I like this guy. He is like an Alfred the Great that never had an opportunity to be Alfred the Great. He paid the Danegeld and paid with his life. And it's interesting because the reasoning behind the Danegeld actually feels wise at first. I mean, if you had the opportunity to pay to have your enemy leave you alone and you had the money and the resource, it just makes sense because you're going to end up paying one way or the other. And so that's just one of the forms. It's like, which pain do you choose? Well, I choose that pain. And that is to lose money as opposed to lose men. And so, hey, it's just a choice, isn't it? However, what you're going to find throughout history is that when you appease the enemy and give the enemy what he wants, he doesn't leave you alone. He actually recognizes that you're soft and that you're weak. So what does he do? He comes back and asks for more. And it's like the toll road where they say, oh, we're only going to have this toll road for five years. And then 25 years later, it's still there. Once a toll road, always a toll road. And so as a result, it's a simple principle of life. King Edmund learns the hard way. To pay is to empower. So here's Winston Churchill commenting on this. The East Anglian king, King Edmund, quickly sought peace for his kingdom from the Vikings and found it could be purchased, though, it costs, though, its, though its cost would be far greater than Edmund bargained for. Throughout the long winter, the East Anglians served the appetites of the Viking army, supplying them with food, drink, and other gifts. Then in addition to these provisions, the Vikings demanded horses for the entire army. So he was going to pay them the Danegeld, and then they were going to leave. Instead, he paid them the Danegelds, and they stayed. And he had arranged for them that he would take care of them and feed them, and they stayed longer and longer. And then they're like, you know what? And in addition to that, we would like horses for all our 5,000 soldiers. And so as a result, they're ravaging East Anglia. East Anglia is being drained, even though the original idea was, we pay you, you leave. 
King Edmund, I'm not going to go into this story today, I think it's on Friday, is ultimately going to experience a very bitter end at this. But here's what I want you to know. King Edmund doesn't mean evil towards his country any more than we do. In other words, this snooze button comes in a package that is clothed in wisdom. It comes and entreats us and appeals to us to consider, come on, in this moment, doesn't it make sense that you would just choose a subtle compromise? And as a result, when I look at King Edmund, I want to defend him. It's like, hey, I can get into his shoes. I understand what he's thinking. And I, I bet you're probably not that far removed from that. Just uh, as, oh, sorry. This is still continuing the Winston Churchill quote. From here, the great army, now more than 5,000 strong, not counting the innumerable non-combatant members of their camp, rode north to the kingdom of Northumbria. Edmund's Danegeld, or pain of the Danegeld, is ultimately going to create an avenue of entry to the Vikings for them to come on shore with, let's say, a thousand Vikings, and then he's going to pacify them, and then they're going to ultimately bring 5,000 on, and then they're going to make their way up to Northumbria and take Northumbria, and then they're going to go down and take Mercia, and then they're going to come over and once again revisit East Anglia and take East Anglia. In other words, what starts out as making sense, it's like, hey, you know, this is just a compromise, and hey, we're going to do our best to appease this evil, turns into the disaster. And King Edmund was a good guy. Listen to this quote. I really like this. This is from Alfred's Life of St. Edmund. Then King Edmund, the brave man that he was, said... I do not desire nor wish that I alone survive after my beloved thanes. Do you guys remember what a thane is? Uh, the thane are those nobles that are in covenant with the king. That my beloved thanes have been fiercely slain by these pirates in their beds, along with their children and wives. I never was the sort to take flight, and I would rather, if necessary, die for my own nation. God Almighty knows that I will never falter from his service, nor from loving his truth. If I die, I live. I like this guy. This is the sort of guy that I could, you know, join up with and fight alongside. And yet, he's going to pay the Danegeld. Now, if I'm going to give something away, King Alfred, when he first starts, is going to pay the Danegeld. Okay, so even our hero in this whole series, this is the model. This is what you do. This is how it works. And I'm going to say it very simply. This is what we've inherited too. It's a version of Christianity that accepts compromise in its basic framework and native state. And as a result, you're going to see Alfred have to recognize, it's like, this is killing me. This is what's harming us. No more. And you're going to see that pattern throughout history, too. One of my favorite kings in the Old Testament, Hezekiah, oh, I know, it's terrible to have to say it, but he paid the Danegeld. It wasn't called the Danegeld, but that's exactly what he did. You see, Hezekiah is going to be said, it's going to be said of Hezekiah that he did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. And I love that. It's sort of like David. David is going to do that which is right in the eyes of the Lord, right? And yet you do a little more granular study of his life. You're like, wait a minute. This guy made a lot of mistakes. And yet the tenor of his life was that he desired to please God. But did he make mistakes? He did. This is one of them for Hezekiah. Hezekiah, when the king of Assyria is going to come against him, he doesn't have the ability to fight him. And at this time, the idea of trusting Jehovah God was just non-existent. 
And so he is going to be awakened. It's like revival is going to come to the heart of Hezekiah and he's going to recognize, I don't turn to Egypt and try and ally with Egypt to fight Assyria. I don't dig in my own pockets and try and pay off uh, the Assyrian king. I'm supposed to humble myself, come unto God and say, God, could you fight for me? What was I thinking? And yet, like us, he pushes the snooze button. He is going to do something that in the long run is going to dearly cost him, but he is going to repent, and he is going to correct his pattern, and he is going to see ultimate victory. So even King Hezekiah paid the Dane yelled. Here it is, 2 Kings 18, 13 through 16. And in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. Then Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. Turn away from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will pay. And the king of Assyria assessed Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. That's a lot. So Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord. So where did he get the silver from? God's house. And the treasuries of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. Okay, guys, can you call it what it is? It's compromise. Okay, when you have to go to God's own temple, his house, and strip it of gold and silver to pay off Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, which by the way, and I haven't gotten to this, but I think we have a message coming up in this semester which is about this exact story. Sennacherib, you can just kind of act like, act like you didn't know this when we get to that message. Translated means sin. Okay, so when sin comes knocking and it looks for the compromise and the payoff, come on guys, you don't rob from God to give to sin. This is not the pattern. And yet, even Hezekiah, great King Hezekiah, which is, who is going to ultimately do that which is right in the eyes of the Lord, is going to start by doing something that's very wrong in the eyes of the Lord. The spiritual Danegeld. Most of us aren't being threatened by actual Vikings right now. And so, as a result, the idea of paying off Vikings with a Danegeld doesn't really resonate with us, but spiritually... There is a Danegeld, and the devil is constantly trying to bait us. In fact, he's the one that sets it in front of us. He's like, hey, I have a proposal from you, for you. You could continue to fight me like this, or you could take the compromise. When we first started Ellerslie, it was extremely difficult, if I could say it that way. That's, that's a massive understatement. Leslie and I had traveled the world and, and had tremendous resistance in what we were doing. When we started this, all hell broke loose against us. And here we are, we're speaking to tens of thousands of people all around the world. You'd think the enemy would be happy to have us focus here. But there was something about what we were doing here that definitely sent off some red alerts in hell. And so we had just challenge after challenge after challenge. So after we got this thing launched, which was basically an impossibility, every, everything that stood against us tried to sabotage us uh, the whole while. But we've been going for about uh, a year. We were at about the year point, and I, it was massive breakthroughs like that we were seeing, that we were seeing so much of the noise that was coming against us just starting to uh, dissolve, and there was stability coming. 
And I still remember, a, I'm going to call it a discussion with the devil, even though it was a one-sided discussion. I, I wasn't talking. He was talking. He was doing all the talking. And he, this is how it sort of went. He's like clapping. Well done. Well done. Well, Ludie, you got me. You started this thing, this Ellerslie. Let's talk. You see, what you've seen as far as resistance up to this point is nothing that you will face compared to what you will face if you take one more step forward. I'll give you your little Ellerslie. You can have this little space, but if you take one more step forward, I'm going to bring all hell against you. You have to acknowledge, if you had a little discussion like that, how tempting it would be to not take another step forward. And so I sat down with the staff and I told them about this discussion. Remember, it's a one-sided discussion. I wasn't doing a lot of talking with the devil. I was just hearing something. And it was very clear. It was like an offer. It's like, you paid the Danegeld, you stop moving, and hey, I'll leave you alone. This is how our ministry started. I don't know if you guys remember the, the story, but I had come to Leslie's mom and dad, and we had decided we were going to give up ministry. This is about three years in, because all hell had come out against us back then. And I was, Leslie was constantly sick. We had financial challenges that were irrational. It's like it doesn't make sense. We're dealing with supernatural powers here. And I felt like the enemy said, you let go of this message, I'll let go of you. So we decided we were going to let go of the message. So we sat down with her parents, and we're like, okay, so uh, we, we're going to back out of ministry. Why? Well, it's hard to explain, but we really feel like the enemies said, you let go of this ministry, I'll let go of you. So we just are tired of fighting like this. And Leslie's mom, famous moment in my life. Eric, he's lying to you. He's not going to give up on you till he kills you. You know too much. Should have seen my fist. My, my hand was like this, and it turned into a fist. I stood up and like, we're not stopping. <laughs> so here we are in the first year of Ellerslie, and I sit down with the staff, and I tell them about this one-sided discussion. You know, that the enemy says he's going to you know, bring all hell if we take another step forward. So they're all sort of watching, listening to me. Like, Eric, what are you talking to the devil for? That's probably what was going through your head. It's like, I wasn't talking with the devil. He was yammering. He was the one doing all the talking. But here's my answer. We're moving forward. We're not stopping. I'm calling his bluff. I don't care what he brings. The God I serve is greater than the one that is threatening us. These are defining moments. However, the bait to withdraw from the battle is very real, and I know it. Okay, if you're in charge of a territory and you have the opportunity to pay the Danegeld, it's hard not to do that. And to be honest, if you look back at my history, you can see that even Eric was ready to pay the Danegeld. And praise God for Leslie's mom, who's going to speak straight to me and say, do not pay him a cent. And yet... So many times in my life, there are those moments, those baits to take an easier road. Pilgrim's Progress, of course, has the classic picture of the narrow way that goes up the hill difficulty and the broad way. And it's so tempting to take the easier road, but where does it lead? It leads to destruction. 
It's actually the narrow way up the hill difficulty that leads to the celestial city. That's such a, an amazing thing that it's hard for us to grasp. There are always two ways. This is a spiritual Danegeld, the easy way and the hard way. The Bible is going to map out for us a narrow way. And if you've ever studied the word narrow, it means the way of difficulty and compression. <laughs> well, I don't really want that way. I don't like this idea of compression and challenge and difficulty. It's narrow. And there's a broad way. Isn't that funny that, you know, New York is known for Broadway and, you know, what we need to have, the Christian, uh, Christians need narrow way productions, you know? It's like what we're doing is, is not trying to appease the world. We're, we're wanting to please the audience of one, Jesus Christ. It's a different way of walking. It's a way that doesn't appeal to the worldly side of us, the first man side of us. We don't like that narrow way. We don't want challenge, and yet it's the challenge, it's the narrow way that leads to life. And so as a result, we have to deliberately choose before we get to that crossroads. Before you get to the broad and narrow way junction, you need to know which way you're going. You do not want to make the decision in the moment. You want to make the decision when God is clarifying for you his truth. I'm with you, Lord. I want to go your way. When you get into prison and you're being tortured, you want to already have made the decision of what your answer is. You don't want to think through your answer when they're saying, do you want to live or die? You want to know your answer before you arrive. Pain the Danegeld. It's the easy way that in the end proves far more difficult. Proverbs 24, 30 through 34, I went by the field of the man, and it says the lazy man. So I'm going to take the lazy man because it's the same idea that I brought out in the beginning. I went by the field of the man who chose the easy way, and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding, there it was, all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction, a little sleep a little slumber, a little fold into the hands to rest, so shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. So I love that statement. When I saw it, I considered it well. One of my favorite things about history is it's like the equivalent of walking by the field of the man who chose the easy way. And we're able to see his vineyard and we're able to see the impact of his decisions. Walk by the field, walk by East Anglia, and take notes of King Edmund's decision. That's why it's there for us. Take notes of the King of Mercia when he pays the Danegeld. Take notes of how this ultimately is going to cost them their nation. And as a result, when you do and you consider it well, what should you conclude? I don't think it's wise to pay the Danegeld. And that would be an astute reasoning. That would be the right way of considering all of these things. Handling the snooze button. I'm going to call it the all-important pre-decision. Okay, now Eric has a snooze potential just like anyone else in here. Okay, Almost every device that can wake you up in the morning 
has a snooze option on it. I don't know if anyone's invented the alarm which is anti-snooze yet, okay? Someone should, like it should be like an Ellerslie alarm. Uh, however, like even on my watch, which does the little hap, uh, what, haptic, haptic sounds, you know, or haptic uh, buzz on my wrist, uh, I have a bottom button, but if I accidentally hit the top, it'll go to snooze, okay? And so I have to be very watchful with, with my watch as I, as I uh, wake up in the morning. Here's the rule of thumb for Eric. Never push snooze. Did you hear that? That's, that's like my life motto right there. Never push snooze. Now, why is that? You see, when I'm going to bed at night, I make a conscious decision of what is best for the next day. And so there's a reason why I'm getting to bed at the time I'm getting to bed at, so that I can get enough sleep, so that I am strong in the morning. Mornings are the foundations of everything I do. And as a result, I want to preserve the foundation of my next day by making a decision before I go to bed. And so when I make a decision before I go to bed, I'm making a decision on what amount of time I need to do certain things, which is more than just getting ready in the morning. It is also getting in physically and like in my hygienic side. It is also for my spiritual life so that when I arrive here, I am strong. So that when I face the battles and the arrows that are flying about today, I'm ready. I'm in armor. I'm not undressed for the spiritual battle I will face. So therefore, when I make that decision ahead of time, when my alarm goes off in the morning, which is usually earlier than my body wishes it was, okay, that's just, again, just take note of that. You're not the only one that struggles with getting up in the morning, especially like there's a time to get up in the morning that is best. And there's a time in the morning when your body thinks is best. You ever notice that? It's like the time in your morning your body thinks is best is a lot later than when is usually best uh, to get up. And that tension in between those two is something that should not be resolved in the early morning hours. Here, here's, here's a thought. There is not a human being on earth that when deciding in the morning, if the decision is left to the morning when they are tired, if they should push snooze or they should get up, they will always push snooze. If you leave the decision until that moment of tiredness, you will choose snooze. If you don't allow there to be a decision in the morning, it's a pre-decided decision. So as a result, when my alarm goes off, I have decided ahead of time, my feet immediately move and touch the floor. Immediately. There is no pause. There is no negotiations. I'm not discussing. Sort of like Ronald Reagan's decision, no negotiating with terrorists. That's exactly right. No negotiating with the Vikings on this one. We are not talking. If they come into this territory, they're going to receive a fight right back from us. And that is precisely the attitude you have to take to your wake-up routine. Otherwise, something else will begin to control you. It is a weird phenomenon, the power of the snooze button, the power of your decision and what you feel to begin to define what is best for your day in the early morning hours. Because your decision is almost 100% always going to be contrary to what the Spirit of God would want for you that morning, which is why you make your decision when you are clear. Do you remember the Mount of Transfiguration? It's clear. They're seeing Jesus glorified. I mean, right in front of them. It's like, wow. 
this is amazing. And then right after that, they're going to come down this mountain into a valley, and there's this demoniac there. You don't want to make your decisions when the demoniac is screaming at you. You want to make your decisions for life when the air is clear. And so as a result, the same is true with us. We're going to run into the demoniac in the valley, but we want to make sure we decide how we're going to behave when we get there right now. We need to make our decisions to fight the Vikings and to not compromise with the Vikings when we're seeing clearly. The rule of thumb. In the unstable momentary decisions, the flesh is stronger. So don't make your decisions in the moment. One of the things I'll oftentimes say is in a time of crisis, don't make life decisions. It's just a bad time to do it. Okay, You make your life decisions when you're seeing clearly. And a lot of people will make in the moment of crisis or the moment of challenge or the moment of temptation, they'll make their decisions as opposed to recognizing, I've already said no to that. My answer is no. But wouldn't it feel good if you were to reconsider? I'm not reconsidering. I've already made my decision. You do not make decisions based on the momentary feel and impulse. You have to know where you stand with your Lord. You have to recognize that there is an enemy that wants to take you down. And as a result, you make your decision when the air is clear and when you're seen sharply. There's a great illustration in, I don't remember which book it was, uh, of C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, where, uh, and I don't even remember who it was, if it was Lucy or some other girl, but I remember she was up on some high mountain and she could see clearly and she could hear the words of Aslan. And then he even warns her, when you get down there into that territory, it won't be as clear. So remember what I'm telling you right now, uh, like that, okay? When you're on the mountaintop, before you go to sleep at night, which many of you go, I don't feel like I'm on a mountaintop before I go to sleep, but you're not thinking from that sluggish, tired state of going, oh, I just have to have 10 more minutes. No one makes a snooze button that gives you one more minute. It's always at least 10, right? And that 10 minutes doesn't seem like it's going to be that big of a deal, but it's 10 minutes less from that time with God in the morning. And so as a result, what are you bargaining with? You're bargaining with your foundation for the day. Let's make sure that we preserve and protect that which God has entrusted us. If he gives you a clear commission to get up and meet him, then don't strip from the walls of the temple to pay the Assyrians. The Vikings want to destroy you. Just remember that. And so as a result, you need to be watchful and not pay the Dane geld. The principle of the runny nose. There is an easy way and a hard way. So this is going to seem a little strange to you. And Eric's life is a little strange, I'm going to have to admit. But the things that I resolve in my life are different than what most people have ever thought about. Like for me, this body, I recognize, is the carrying device of everything I'm commissioned to right? So how this body behaves, how, if it's healthy or not, is very, very important to me being able to deliver what I'm here on earth for. And so as a result, I am very vigorous in protecting and preserving the little things in my body. And so it was quite a few years ago when I decided to start, stand up against uh, runny noses. And I wasn't going to put up with colds anymore. I'm just going to say, no, I don't accept it. That's, that's literally what I decided to do. I'm just going to shrug my shoulders and go, nope. I'm not taking that into this body. I know, I'm saying, you guys are looking at me like, that is the strangest thing. Mm -hmm. And you know what? 
I almost never get sick too. And so this is like a long time now that I've gone like this where I have literally just shoved things back. I still have things that come against my body and I will just like, nope, 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 nope. And here's what I want you to recognize in this. It is very difficult. It is a lot easier to accept a cold, it's just a cold, than it is to say no to a cold. I know, to you right now, you might think, oh, it just sounds pretty easy to say no to a cold. Nope, it's actually exhausting to actually fight off a cold to say, no, I'm not going to accept this into my body, and to be spiritually sharp and sound to wage war against something as pathetically small and seemingly insignificant as a cold. Because most of us in here are like, come on, it's just a cold. It'll work its way through your system in a day or two. It's not that big of a deal. And so when I make it a big deal, and I'm like, no, it's actually really hard. So what I'm saying is the principle of the runny nose is a principle in my life. And that is the small things matter. That small compromise, that one thought that is renegade to the kingdom of heaven in my life, oh, it needs to be purged. It's not that big of a thought. Come on. I mean, can't we just negotiate peace with it and just say, okay, one little thought. It's not that big of a deal. It's a big deal. Do not negotiate with runny noses. Do not negotiate with the small compromises in your life and justify them. This is the principle of the snooze button. Do not allow the small encroachments of the Vikings on the shoreline of your soul. You must be vigorous in how you handle this. So we're going to finish with the poem by Rudyard Kipling, The Danegeld. Okay, uh, sorry, Dane, I'm, hopefully you're still hanging in there with us because it's, it's quite something. You know, if your name's Scott, at least you can go with, you know, Braveheart and uh, the, the Scottish. But if you're Dane and then you go on into 865 AD and you're like the Danes that are invading Great Britain and then Eric does a series on it and you just happen to sit through it, it, it can be rough. But remember, Eric is a Viking name too, so we're both in this together. We co could call it the Eric Geld uh, just as well. And so... Uh, sorry about that. I didn't name it. Uh, the Danegeld. It's a poem. Now, uh, I, I like Rudyard Kipling. Uh, I have a son named Kipling. Uh, and so, uh, this, is, this is great. It is always a temptation to an armed and agile nation to call upon a neighbor and to say, We invaded you last night. We are quite prepared to fight unless you pay us cash to go away. And that is called asking for Danegeld. And the people who ask it explain that you've only to pay him the Danegeld and then you'll get rid of the Dane. It is always a temptation for a rich and lazy nation to puff and look important and to say, though we know we should defeat you, we have not the time to meet you, we will therefore pay you cash to go away. Uh... I must have pushed some button in the middle of my poem that took me out of the poem. And that is called paying the Danegeld. And we've proved it again and again that if once you paid him the Danegeld, you never get rid of the Dane. It is wrong to put temptation in the path of any nation for fear they should succumb and go astray. So when you are requested to pay up or be molested, you will find it better policy to say. 
We never pay anyone Danegeld, no matter how trifling the cost, for the end of that game is oppression and shame, and the nation that plays it is lost. Okay, guys, you have to admit, that's, that's good stuff. Unpurchasability, it's a hard word to write, and I think it always corrects. I don't think it's a real word, but I consider it a word. Unpurchasability. In other words, there is no price that you will pay, ever. Have you ever heard it said that everyone has a price? I've heard it all growing up. Everyone has a price, and so I've always questioned my soul. Lord, do I have a price? Is there a point, you know, where people will say, so I'll give you $1,000 if you allow me to cut off your right finger? And they go, no. Okay, I'll give you $10,000. Well, you give me $10,000 to cut off my, no, I, I, my right finger is more valuable than that. How about $10 million? You'll give me $10 million and you'll cut off my right finger. Yeah, we'll have a surgeon right there. He'll suture it up. It'll be fine. Okay. This happens all the time. You'll see that people have a price. And yet, what you're dealing with is a Danegeld situation. It's an issue of what has God entrusted you? And is it yours to give? Is this property known as you actually yours, or does it belong to Jesus Christ? Your time, your affections, your body itself, this is not something for you to strip the gold off the walls and pay the Assyrians with. This is something that belongs to Jesus Christ. And as a result, if he doesn't have a price, you don't have a price. You cannot be bought. You're already purchased. Unpurchasability. No price is worth paying if it means doing what you know is wrong. So I'm sure all of you remember this scripture, James 4, 17. To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So, but what if the enemy's like, but you don't need to do that good. And I, you know, we can come up with a compromise. I won't touch it. I won't touch it. What about for this price? A thousand. No. What about 10,000? No. No. My soul's worth more than that. I'm not going to. My integrity matters to me. 10 million. Okay. When they say 10 million, you say the same no that you would say with 1,000. When they say 10 trillion, you look at them and say, what do you think I am? I'm a child of God. There is no price tag here. I will not pay the Danegeld. As Christians, we never pay the Danegeld. For if once you have paid him the Danegeld, you never get rid of the Dane. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellersley.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.